0: This is Daniel Fagell, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast, and we're back at it with our series on AI strategy. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday this week, we are covering AI strategy. Yesterday, we had our series on AI is here, sponsored by Samba Nova. But we're back on AI strategy today, and we're diving in with a guest that has been on a few times and is dear to my heart for a few reasons. And I'll talk about that. Basically, the nutshelling of this guest interview. I re-listened to the entire thing here in prep with my team. We're putting together some articles on AI strategy right now. And the best I could nutshell it is finding the right problems, having a long-term mindset, and building with the user in mind. But he goes into so much more rich detail on those three points. And this guest is none other than Sankar Naranian. He's the chief practice officer of Fractal Analytics, now just called Fractal. Uh, Fractal is a unicorn company, a very large and successful firm working on AI-related projects across industries, They're famous for their work in CPG, work in a lot of other spaces and sectors as well. And Sankar, something like three years ago, was on the show and recorded an episode with us, one of our first dedicated episodes on the measurement of AI ROI, which is not a simple game to play. Uh, the measurement of AI ROI. And our podcast is on many platforms, but on SoundCloud in particular, which is one of many, some of you are listening to this on Spotify, some of you are on Apple, some of you are on Google Podcasts, whatever your choice might be. Some people are on SoundCloud. On SoundCloud, this became far and away the most popular episode we had ever published on the show. It was incredible. So people searching SoundCloud apparently were searching for this kind of thing, and Sankar's episode became wildly successful. To this day, still gets vastly more downloads than an average episode that's three years old, and from that day forward, I knew darn well that this is a guy with some worthwhile insights. So when it comes to pulling together a new interview series on AI strategy, a series that really does require a perspective that is broad, a perspective to be able to think about problems from potentially multiple companies. Sankar is a guy I wanted to have back on, and we got him. So there's a lot to learn in this episode about the three keys to AI strategy, according to Sankar. And that final point around building for the user is the last point that we touch on, but is one of the most salient portions of the interview. Being able to think about a project that went, uh, let's call it not so great, because we didn't build for the user and thinking about how would we work backwards and what's our new process for being able to build in such a way that we have a very high likelihood of a user taking it, running with it, and really making the most out of that deployment, converting it to ROI. It's not just does the algorithm work. It's not just do we have the data. It's will someone use it? And there's a lot to be said here, but, but Sankar uh, just addresses a tremendous amount in this particular episode. And again, the last third of this episode for me was a ton of fun. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Without further ado, let's fly right into an old favorite, uh, Sankar Naranian, back with us here on the show from Fractal Analytics. This is Sankar on the AI and Business Podcast. SN, thank you so much for being able to join us again.
1: Dan, it's a pleasure to speak with you again.
0: Today, we're honed in on the topic of AI strategy, and we're going to be talking about how you define it and think about it first, and then we're going to get into some actionable insights. There are a lot of ways to kind of try to put AI strategy in a nutshell for a business audience. How do you like to do it when you're talking to leaders?
1: I think it's a combination of uh, a few things, uh, Dan. AI strategy, if you ask me, how do you define strategy for around AI today? My answer would be very different to if you had asked me six months back, and it'll be—I'm—I'm hundred I'm percent sure it'll be very different to if you ask me three months from now. Yeah, and that's part of the problem, as everything is evolving and things are accelerating. Strategy itself is getting redefined. You know what we—what we call as AI is getting redefined, and what elements are needed to make AI successful are getting redefined. I remember the last time we spoke. One of the things I, I, I said was for AI to be successful, AI is not enough, and that has become even more important. That you know mm. that that insight that we had then has become even more important in 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 the day and age that we operate in now. So if you ask me, how do you define AI strategy? I can tell you a bunch of words, but really, at the end of the day, there are three key things which we think are important to to defining an AI strategy. Number one is, do we have a powerful combination of structuring problems better? So the the combination of structuring problems better along with the right techniques to solve the problem. So that's my number one Mm. thing, which is, are we able to solve the right problems? And do we have the right approaches, techniques, measures, metrics, stakeholders to solve that problem? So that's, that's the science part of it. That's number one. Number two is do we have the ability to think scale first, right? Most problems today that enterprises are dealing with are not one-off problems. There is a lot of cross learning that is that is possible. We now have the ability to distill learnings from any problem that we're solving to apply to any other problem that we want to solve. So the ability to think scale first, and the motivation to apply any sort of approach in a scale-first manner is very critical, and that's that's a key part of you know, analytic strategy or AI strategy. And the last, but you know, in our minds at least, the tip of spear for a good AI strategy is really thinking about who are we solving this for, right? At the end of every decision that most companies make, pretty much every company makes, There is a human that is executing that decision into action, and more often than not, that decision is executed on a human. And if that human perspective is not considered right up front in developing the AI strategy, then it'll be great, but it may not necessarily be sustainably powerful and impactful for the organization. So those are the sort of three key levers, at least at this point in time, uh, we think about when companies talk to us about AI strategy
0: yeah so much to consider, and as you'd mentioned, the idea is shifting. I've actually I haven't had anybody say that just yet. this idea that hey, if you asked me six months ago or in three months, probably I'm going to put slightly different emphasis in, in different places. We're going to get into in a moment sort of what you've seen leaders do well when they put an AI strategy in action. In other words, a strategy that actually leads to real enterprise value. Things that get deployed, things that add value, things that, that build a stronger company. One point to clarify just based on what you said. So you, you have some principles of kind of what's important within strategy. One thing I want to clarify at a high level, when we've talked about AI strategy, a common insight has been, and I think it's a lens that we don't we 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 like thinking through here at Emerge, which is that really we're not writing an abstract notion of of AI off on its own and then saying, great, let's go do this cool AI strategy. We're sort of Layering AI and the waking up and leveraging of data on top of what our business transformation vision is on top of the direction we're going on top of what our key initiatives are we're, we're sort of leveling that stuff up It's not AI off in the corner we're going to build this whole strategy in this whole direction it's more of marrying the two Do you share that philosophy and or do you have anything you want to add to that framework because that's normally where we'd operate for the rest of our interview in terms of the the umbrella, but let me know if you want to modify that
1: so what you're saying is getting reflected in some newer roles and newer titles that are actually becoming part of C-suite You know, over the, over the past couple of years or so. You know, CDOs and CAOs have now become part of C-suite. Most CEOs in, in investor presentations as well as when they're talking to the street are mentioning analytics, AI, data, in anything that they say. And what that really tells us is it's no longer separable. You know, AI strategy, business strategy, go-to-market are terms that are no longer distinct and disparate from each other. They're actually interconnected. Uh, earlier this morning, I was reading about a, a really well-known cosmetics brand. They're you know, one of the high-end cosmetics brands in the world, and they are referring to themselves as beauty tech they are no longer referring to themselves as a fashion brand or, hmm. or a beauty brand. They're actually talking about themselves as beauty tech. And this is the CEO that's out talking about this. Equally, if you if look at some of the most well-known payment services companies, they no longer refer to themselves as payments companies or financial services companies. They refer to themselves as data and tech companies. One of the most well-known credit trading companies, uh, that has been you know, part of the US credit rating system for a long while, refers to itself as an analytics company and not a credit credit scoring company or a credit rating company. Mm-hmm. So, so what you see there is organizations are definitely rebranding themselves. And, and this is, you know, it's a flippant use of the term rebrand. It's not just rebrand. They're really reimagining themselves to be focused on AI technology and better user empathy, and bringing them together in the businesses that they are running.
0: Got it. Okay. So we're seeing not only kind of the mindset reflected, but it's actually being reflected all the way down to who is being hired, what is their title, and how are they even talking about their own business? I would say, yes, if we're defining ourselves in an entirely new way, that certainly does seem to indicate a shift And more and more of that is married to analytics, data, how technology is defining what we're up to. So that hopefully bodes well, because I think you and I both saw, you know, half a decade ago, many companies treating AI as its own wild trajectory off on the left side over here. And then we have kind of our normal business strategy. And there was really not much of a connection between the two. Any marriage of those two, I think, is going to be productive in the years ahead. And speaking of productive, the goal on, on this call is to learn a little bit more about what you've seen successful executives do to build AI strategies that have really turned into value. Sometimes, you know, a strategy can, can be very shallow, like just a handful of use cases, not really a strategy. Sometimes a strategy can be well thought out, but it's very disconnected. It never actually applies to the business, gets implemented. When you see the exercise of strategy, thinking about opportunities, thinking about transformation, actually translate to productive projects, what are leaders doing right? And what should our listeners think about doing right to make strategy come to life?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, if I if I just go back to what I was saying earlier around sure. and driving better AI strategy, first point I was talking about is is this whole problem framing and thinking about how can we bring the best of you know approaches, initiatives, techniques to solve that problem. So let me unpack that a bit, right? Solving problems across the board is has has been part of pretty much every organization as they go about their business. What's really interesting now is the focus that most enterprises seem to have on driving results at scale. Back in the day when you when when we talked about AI strategy, it was about how do we actually bring proof of concepts to life. Yes, how do exactly. We, how exactly. We generate initial value and then take it to the next level and then you know get C-suite buy-in. That whole buying process is no longer important, at least in in the clients that we're working with, in organizations that we are engaged with. It's very clear that there is no need to sell analytics or sell AI anymore. Companies are clear about the fact that if they are not doing this, then it's only a matter of time before they drop out of the the list
0: of Fortune 100,
1: Fortune 500, or whatever list they are part of today. So that has become an important realization. Second is driving this whole orientation around AI culturally within the organization. And that that actually is about doing a few things right. Number one is driving the orientation around AI top-down. If the executives of the organization are seen to not just talk about it, but implement that in their day-to-day decisions, I call this the high-value, low-volume decisions, then the rest of the organization sees the need to be you know doing that in their day to day work as well. Classy example is how Amazon makes decisions. I don't need to de- delve into this. you know everybody knows how uh, the decision process works there. That's a great example of how things work top down. All decisions involve the use of analytics and AI. The second point around this is also to make it very, very easy to consume. oftentimes. If you ask me, if you'd uh, spoken with me about you know, four or five years back on what is the biggest road blo- roadblock to data science projects, my answer would have been adoption. Projects are great. the The estimated value out of most projects tend to be really positive and o- optimistic. But if you if you talk to the same organization six months later, most projects would not have you know gone ahead into implementation yeah. in the approach that we had suggested. They may have taken different shapes or speed would have would have gone down, or in some cases, the project wouldn't have been implemented. And when we unpacked this a little bit, what we realized was projects were great from a value estimation standpoint, but very complex to implement. That's because of a combination of things. Did we understand the user needs better? Was it easy to actually change the technology requirements that, uh, that were needed? And, and so on and so forth. What we therefore started doing a lot more of over the last few years is change this entire approach into user-first decision backwards. And that makes all of our work and all of our solutions very straightforward and easy to implement because we started with the end user as opposed to thinking about the you know the data or the technique. So that's the second part. And then the third part is really about you know, enabling decisions with a lot more data than less. So what we are seeing happen across industries now is a proliferation of alternative data. And so every project that we are working on, we are always able to you know, engage with the clients in see, helping them see the value of using alternative sources of data and providing them newer signals. So those three are the three key uh, uh, ways in which we are seeing you know, companies accelerating the value outcomes from analytics and AI.
0: Got it. Okay. So thinking kind of this user first sort of idea, decision second, I'm going to try to put that in a nutshell as we wrap up the interview here, thinking about getting people's juices flowing around, putting that idea into practice. Is this around so that I imagine decision first might be, okay, here's the problem we need to solve. Here's how AI could be used. And then here's how we're going to show this up on a dashboard. Maybe user first would be What's the day-to-day life of this person? Where are their frustrations? What are the parts of their workflow that are either challenging or unnecessarily time-consuming or whatever? And how can we sort of build up from that? Is that the right mental lens? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I do want to make what you've said actually something that people can think through on their own.
1: Yeah, yeah, Dan. Uh, why don't I take an example that might just bring it to life? Please. So we are working with an insurance company today where you know it's a it's a typical agency-driven business the insurer is engaged with all its agents in driving outcomes from customers which is about you know driving premium growth and building a high quality insurance business now they came to us with an interesting problem they said look we are engaged with our agents. They used to be exclusive to us and they have now become independent, which means that we are likely to see some business disruption as the agents now become independent and therefore we are only one insurer they are engaging with. They actually have the freedom to engage with multiple insurers now. So you know this may lead to potential business loss. How do we arrest this and how do we continue to engage with our agents better? The initial approach that, that they were thinking about was can we actually segment our agents and brokers? Can we actually create segments such as, you know, these are the most profitable agents. These are the ones that need more engagements. These are the ones that are not driving business for us. And can we make this available to our sales team so that, you know, this data-driven approach can be used by the sales teams to better engage with agents? Great idea. It did not result in meaningful incremental outcomes Hmm. because the sales folks said, you know what? I make about 30 calls every day, talking to different agents and brokers. You've now given me a, a, a scientifically strong, analytically strong methodology to engage with my brokers better. I have two problems with this. One, are you questioning my experience and my ability to engage with my brokers yeah, better?
0: That, yeah, that's that's not good. Right? Yeah.
1: And the second is, I'm already doing all these 40 calls, so what can I stop? and then start looking at this data-driven approach, and how is it making my life simpler instead of making it more complex? Now, this was a fundamentally different question to what we thought the problem was. So our initial understanding was, you know what, the broker segmentation might not be well done. Let's actually improve the sophistication of methods, or let's use better data, and so on. But we realized by simple engagement with with the sales team, that actually the problem was not about better broker segmentation. It was really about helping them leverage the asset better and help them adopt and and show the simplicity that this can create in their day-to-day life. In hindsight, if we had had to redefine the problem, we would have started with, let's speak with the the sales team, understand what are the day-to-day challenges they are experiencing, and then build a solution that may fit to their needs better.
0: Got it. Okay. So yeah, if if you could turn back the clock, it would be, I guess in that sense, that's a very tangible example of start with the user. Absolutely. Um, And you read so many horror stories of, you know, solutions that get built out because we think it's going to be great for the user. And honestly, sometimes it could be great for the user, but if they didn't have any buy-in in in the beginning, then they're going to feel like it's an imposition and they're going to find reasons not to adopt it as well. So it feels like there's kind of an emotional buy-in element as well as a, Hey, we'll get closer to the problem and a better definition of the problem if we start with the user. It feels like it's both. Some of this is just pure emotional, but other parts are maybe building you know, it really will help with building a better project.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, Dan. And uh, I was reading a recent HBR article on, um, on Amazon, uh, which is very interesting, and I, I thought that example would be relevant in, in our context, because look, Amazon sells what? 60 to 65 products every second. Every uh, second. and half of the products that they sell are based on personalized recommendations right now the interesting thing that that they do is at the scale at which they operate to personalize recommendations across billions of skus with billions of consumers think about the complexity of the problem right and this needs to be implemented at the scale at which they are operating so the key insight that i had here was essentially their the approach that they are using is a combination of building you know diversity in their in their approach which means how do we understand the dissimilarity of products and SKUs that consumers are buying? Combine that with surprising products people are buying. You know, My personalized approach would have suggested a product, but consumer is actually buying something else. So that's you know, a surprise. That's a new type of data point. And then combine that with a product that a consumer has never bought, which is new. So taking this approach of combining the combination of products and the dissimilarity of products that consumers are buying with the surprise that amazon sees in in you know new products that, that they are buying and identifying new skus that amazon can sell to them is a very very powerful combination of explore and exploit that's what they are using to simplify the buying process but they're not mm-hmm. stopping with that right at every point they are thinking about how can we make this incredibly easy for consumers to to, to actually make that purchase. And that's the part which I think you know, financial services entities, healthcare companies, consumer goods companies need to be thinking about, which is getting the personalized recommendations is one thing. How do I make it incredibly simple for my end user, my yeah. consumer to be able to leverage that powerful algorithm that I've used to, to offer this to, to, to my consumers is really the part of the problem that, companies haven't spent too much time thinking about what we think is is the next wave
0: yeah man you know i'm thinking about starting a whole podcast called sn summarizes hbr articles (laughs) <laughs> SN plus HBR, I'm just just five minute episodes where you just take a 2,000 words and make it really exciting. That was cool. Now I'm going to go Google that after we're done. You've given me some homework here today. I know that's all we had on this episode and you've given us, frankly, more than I even anticipated in terms of some additional anecdotes, which I appreciate a ton. Hopefully for our listeners, for those of you tuned in right now, this has been helpful for you for strategy. I know it's been fun for me. SN is always a pleasure. Thank you so much for being with us.
1: Dan, thank you for uh, for for the insightful questions as usual, and uh, I look forward to speaking to you soon.
0: So that's all for this episode of the AI in Business podcast. In this third of five episodes on AI strategy, tomorrow and the next day, we are touching in on AI strategy again. Our guest for tomorrow runs an AI startup in the predictive maintenance domain, working in heavy industry, lots of very unique problems there, but a lot of transferable lessons to other spaces as well. This particular guest, by the way, that I'm going to have on with you tomorrow, uh, was leading and sort of setting up AI operations at one of the largest aerospace and defense companies in the world up until recently when he took the helm at this predictive maintenance firm. And our last episode, which comes up on Saturday, is a head of AI at one of the largest telecommunications firms in the world. I hope you've enjoyed this series. I hope you enjoy some of the guests we're bringing on. I've been doing my darndest this year, in case you didn't notice, to bring on as many leaders, heads of AI, GMs of AI at big name brand firms as humanly possible. Finding folks with perspective that is rare because they're working with big companies, big R&D projects, big experience, relative to the other players in their particular market. And I hope that that is something that is beneficial to you. If you've learned something from these episodes, it would mean the world for you to drop us a review on iTunes. I probably haven't mentioned it in the last month on the show, but I know my business coaches are going to beat the heck out of me if I don't. And it does mean the world. So believe it or not, the changes that you've seen in our podcast over the last year and a half and longer have mostly come from reviews from folks like you who've tuned in who've dropped a review and let us know what episode you liked, what you learned from that episode. Some people, many of you listening in right now, have messaged me on LinkedIn and say, hey Dan, I like this episode. And you know darn well, I've asked you questions. I've said why, I've said, what did you like? What do you wanna see more of? And similarly, when people say, hey, you know, I didn't get a lot out of this one, we'll ask those questions as well. So your feedback means the world. It obviously helps to have other people learn more about the show as well. And it means a lot to us. Again, it's just AI and business on iTunes. Drop a five-star review. Let us know what you like about the program, how it might have benefited your career or what kind of insights you've applied. I'd love to be able to hear from you there. And again, it would mean a lot to us. So if you'd like to support the show, giving us a five-star review on iTunes, letting us know what episodes you've liked would be an awfully important way to do that. And otherwise, just stay in tune, stay in one of the gang and being with us. I appreciate you again being here on the podcast. I look forward to catching you tomorrow. We have two more episodes on AI Strategy, Friday and Saturday, and I hope to have you for both. So thanks again. I'll catch you in the next episode.